as Dave Bart makes his way forward, please join me in the prayer of illumination. O Lord, our God, as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit, soften our hearts, and fill us with your light that we may see your ways. Through Jesus Christ, the true word of God, amen. Good morning. Scripture reading today comes from Luke 6, 27 through 38. This is the word of God. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I just want to say that it is, again, a pleasure to be with you, as always, as a guest minister. And as always, I want to say thank you for the many ways you support Christian Health, whether it's to volunteer or to visit people you know who are there, or through your prayers or offerings. We really appreciate that. If you have not been over to the campus in the last few months, you might want to just take a drive over there sometime to see all that is happening with the expansion of facilities. The Southgate uh, Behavioral Health Unit is having rooms added to it in order to meet the ever-growing demand and request for care for elderly people. And uh, so right now there's a lot of construction work going on on the campus. The Vista is open and people have moved in and it's a beautiful, glorious facility. And if you've ever been to the campus and gotten lost on the campus, you will be glad to know we now have street signs for all of those roads so we can give actual directions to help you find where you need to go. But that's all possible, all of that, because of the generosity of churches and people in this area as they support our elderly population here in northern New Jersey. So thank you. There was a man 
who reached his 100th birthday. And he was being interviewed by a reporter. And the reporter asked him, well, what are you most proud of in your life? And he said, well, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that I don't have an enemy in the world. Wow, said the reporter, that's really inspirational. That's, how, how have you managed to do that? Well, said the man, I don't have an, any enemies because I outlived every last one of them. <laughs> so I wonder, is that the secret to living with our enemies? Is it just to avoid them and ignore them, hoping that we can outlive and outlast them? Maybe we secretly hope and plan and even pray for bad things to happen to our enemies? Or maybe you take a more active stance toward your enemies by gossiping about them or spreading lies and rumors or calling the police on them when they do something wrong. Or maybe you pray that God's vengeance will punish them for their wicked ways. At least that's how most of the world operates about enemies. We hear about those tactics in the news every day. We go to war with them. We plot and plan for their demise. We rejoice in their failures and mourn in their successes. We write letters, make phone calls, send emails, muster up support against them among our friends. We try to get people to side with us and join the team of those who are angry at others. That's the world way of dealing with our enemies often. And yes, sometimes that even sadly happens in the church. But Jesus, as we just heard in that scripture lesson from Luke, Jesus calls for a different response. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What a radical thing that feels like. And believe me, it was as radical in Jesus' day as it is to us today. How can a sensible person love someone who hurts them? How can we love someone who gossips about us, who cheats us, who uses or abuses us or coldly ignores us? How can we love someone whose political opinions are so radically different from ours? And how can we love an enemy when everything we feel about that person or group of persons makes us want to hurt them as they have hurt us. Shouldn't we be allowed to seek some sort of revenge? Or perhaps we can talk about loving them once the playing field is leveled, once we've had some of our sweet revenge. We might talk about love when the scales of justice are sort of in balance again. But love our enemies before revenge Love our enemies without the expectation for revenge. Love someone without any thought of getting even, even when we've been deeply hurt. Well, that is what Jesus is talking about today. And the reason is simple. 
revenge doesn't work. The scales of justice can never be perfectly balanced. As Martin Luther King Jr. said when people were calling for revenge after his house was burned down, when you live by the rule an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you end up with a nation of blind and toothless people. So Jesus tells us, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. But how in the world do we do that? How do you love someone for whom you feel no love? Because loving an enemy is both countercultural and it's counterintuitive. Another preacher recently reminded me that loving the enemy starts with recognizing that this love has very little to do with feelings. Our culture and its popular songs and the movies that we see and television shows we watch and popular magazines we read and on social media, our culture would have us believe that everything is based on feelings. But Jesus reminds us today that love does not depend on how we feel. One woman tells the story about one of the first dates she ever had. She was with a very attractive young man, and by the time was dinner was over, she felt sure she was deeply in love with him. And after the meal, as she sat listening to him, gazing into his eyes across the candlelit table, she felt more and more lightheaded. And she said when she looked around her, the whole world looked different. It kind of faded out. And nothing seemed to be as vivid to her as that young man's smiling voice. And nothing was so clear as his calm, strong voice. He filled my eyes, she said. He was the only thing I could think about, the only reality that I could connect with. And when she was asked what happened next, she said, well, I was taken to the hospital and I had my stomach pumped. The doctor told me I had a bad case of food poisoning. Quite frankly, feelings can be fickle. They come and they go depending on the context. And you cannot tell if you love someone simply by the way you happen to feel at that moment about that person. So feelings are unreliable when it comes to evaluating or acting on love. Think about your relationships with your closest family members. If we are honest, we would admit to fluctuating feelings about those with whom we are closest, our spouses, our siblings, our children, even our best friends. Do you always feel extreme fondness for them? Can you honestly say you've never had that feeling that they are downright annoying human beings? I'd venture probably not, and that's my own confession there as well. Our love cannot be based on feelings alone. Our commitment, a commitment that is rooted in and shaped by love, cannot depend on how we feel at any given moment. 
love needs to be based on something else, on something more substantial. And that something else is action. Love is known in action, for love is a verb. Jesus makes that perfectly clear. He tells us what love does. And he acts out that love throughout his ministry. Luke's Gospel today reminds us that love blesses rather than curses. Love is merciful as God is merciful. Love forgives as God forgives, without any expectation of reward or revenge. And then Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And that is the great rule of love. You might have learned that as the golden rule at some point in your life. The great rule by which you can tell if you are loving someone, even when you don't feel like it. The proof or the evidence of our love is known in the way that we behave toward one another. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The spiritual promise that comes with obedience to this rule is this. The judgment you give is the judgment you will receive. What you sow is what you will reap. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be given to you, says Jesus. It is a promise that is rooted in relationships. We don't forgive because we're super spiritual beings. We don't bless because we're such good people. We forgive because we need forgiveness. And we bless because we know we need blessings too. And we show mercy because we know we would be lost unless abundant mercy had been and is shown to us. And if we need that, then so does everyone who is around us. We do to others as we want them to do to us because there is no other way to break the cycle of evil. There is no other way to make friends or allies out of our enemies. Who would you say is your enemy? Who in your life needs to receive a blessing rather than a dressing down from you? What do you need to face about your own resistance to another's grace or forgiveness? Back in 1881, that's a long time ago, Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher, and he preached a sermon on this text from Luke 6 that was titled The Heroic in Christianity. Spurgeon describes Jesus as calling us to demonstrate heroics, lavishing kindness on people, to be extraordinarily gentle, peaceable, and meek, to have our joy found in God, to have fearlessness and a willingness to endure in hard times, 
to live in true humility and delight in serving others, and to live with faith and servitude. This, according to Spurgeon, is what it means for us as Christians to be set apart as God people. It's what makes us different from the rest of the world. One of the interesting things about what Jesus is saying when he says the word you is that that's a plural you. It's not a singular you. He's not talking just to us as individuals, but he's talking to the group of people who are his followers. He is talking to us today as the church. And he's saying to the church, you are set apart to be different from the world. You as the church are called to love and to put that love into action wherever you are. To put that love into action with people who are different from you. I read this week that something is heroic when it rises above and beyond what most humans think themselves capable of. And what Jesus describes here in Luke 6 is something that definitely fits that description of heroic. But Jesus teaches us that we are capable of it because we have not only our identity as Christian from him, but we also receive our power to overcome the temptation for revenge from him. Even now, Christ has promised his spirit to us as children of the merciful Father in heaven. Through being heroic, or perhaps more accurately, through being Christ-like, we can love our enemies. And we can be a part of the transformation that this world and its people so desperately need. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You are blessed to be a blessing. So go forth and share God's love. Let us pray. O oh God of abundant mercy, you alone can turn evil into good, sorrow into rejoicing, and death into everlasting life. So teach us your way of grace, to meet hatred with kindness, to answer curses with blessing, to love without holding back, and to give without thought of return. All in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us now stand and using the confession from the Reformed Church, the Belhar Confession, let us affirm our faith in Jesus Christ. Saying together, we believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who gathers, protects, and cares for his church by his word and his spirit as he has done since the beginning of the world and will do to the end. We believe in one holy universal Christian church, the communion of saints called from the entire human family. 
We believe that Christ's work of reconciliation is made manifest in church as the community of believers who have been reconciled with God and with one another. That unity is therefore both a gift and an obligation for the Church of Jesus Christ. This unity of the people of God must be manifested and be active in a variety of ways, in that we love one another, that we experience, practice, and pursue community with one another, that we are obligated to give ourselves willingly and joyfully to be of benefit and blessing to one another, that we share one faith, have one calling, are of one soul and one mind, have one God and Father, are filled with one spirit, are baptized with one baptism, eat of one bread, and drink of one cup, confess one name, are obedient to one Lord, work for one cause, and share one hope. To the one and only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be the honor and the glory forever and ever. <laughs>